You're listening to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast with Graham McMillan Mason. Episode 5, Tim Kasher. Hello and welcome back to And So I Followed an Alternative Religion podcast and we're at episode 5 now. Um, so as you probably guessed, it is with Tim Kasher from Cursive. You may also know him from The Good Life or you know numerous other bands as well. Or you may or you may not know, he's also a screenwriter. But most importantly, what he is to me is an absolute icon, a total hero of mine from when I was young. I listened to Cursive from about the age of 14 to 16. I might be making 14-year-old me sound cooler than I actually was. It may have been a little later than that, but I still remember the first time someone gave me Domestica um, and how much the lyrics and you know what Tim wrote and the band wrote at that point did for me at that age and how it made me view my own writing. So yeah, it was massive for me to speak to him, truth be told. Um, and it was my first live interview that I did, my first live podcast. I actually did it in the dressing room of King Tut's in Glasgow. Those of you who may be familiar, obviously a really popular, famous venue that I'm probably accustomed to going to these days, but still a great venue. Um, So it's a little bit shorter, basically, than the other ones because I found it different doing it face-to-face, if I'm honest with you. I actually enjoyed it more, but you feel like you're taking up someone's time a lot more. Not that Tim ever made me feel like that, but... Um, just the way I felt um, personally so it's about 35 minutes long whereas it's usually like an hour but we cover through so much different stuff Um, Tim's like super interesting I knew he would be but he was really interesting and one thing I'm pleased we got to chat about an awful lot is movies Um, we actually talk quite a bit about horrors Um, I'm a huge horror fan and so is he we chat a little bit about Rosemary's Baby um, his screenwriting, his plans for the future in screenwriting, but also, of course, we did chat about Cursive and their rise to fame after they released The Ugly Organ, um, the kind of cult following that they had on the back of that, um, and how that affected him as a human being, but I don't want to, as always, tell you what the podcast is about before you've really listened to it. It's best for you just to kind of fire on and, and give it a listen, really, if I'm honest, Um but just a couple of things before we do get into the podcast. Of course, the reaction to the Justin Pearson podcast two weeks ago was probably the best reaction I've had. Um, I did say I thought the interview with Justin Pearson was a really good one. Um, Justin, super interesting guy to speak to, um, has stayed in touch since um, and is a lovely person who I'd recommend if you haven't listened to it already. Give it a listen because he, he's a guy that makes you feel super pumped about life, as I said before, and, and that's kind of the people I believe in and the people I think we should be listening to in this day and age. Um, but I also wanted to let people know about the Burnt Church Film Night. Again, as you know, I think I said a few episodes ago, I do it every month. This Wednesday, which is the 12th of April, we have Zombieland and we also have the thing, uh, it's the original thing, John Carpenter's thing. So we're going to be playing that. It's completely free of charge. It starts at about seven, quarter past seven, depending on when people get in. As always, it's completely free. Um, but the Flying Duck, for those of you who haven't been there, 
to some amazing vegan food. Um, they've got this really good mac and cheese burrito, which, as filling as it is, like I think it's absolutely tremendous. Uh, one of my favourite things to eat in Glasgow, and you know a lot of my friends work there as well, and they'll always pour you a good pint. Trust me, um, I can a hundred percent guarantee they do that. But yeah, but come along um, if you're into films or if you want to just hang out with people who like films or you'd like to see some of the films, maybe you haven't seen Zombieland or you haven't seen the original thing, come down, like have a listen um, or have a watch even, sorry, see what you think and, and feel free to say hello, of course, with myself and, and other people. Um, before we get into the podcast, as always, I'm going to play a song, but I will say before I do that, keep connecting with me on Facebook, which is... And so I followed an alternative religion podcast in the search bar. Have a listen to the last podcast that I've done via SoundCloud, which is soundcloud.com forward slash CFAR podcast. And of course, most importantly, please, if you are enjoying it, subscribe on iTunes. It's dead easy. All you need to do is go on to the page. If you type in alternative religion, it comes up. It's the first option. If you type that in, there's a little subscribe button. Just click on that. What that means is 10 p.m. UK time. Every other Monday, you're going to get a brand new podcast. Um, This week's is with Tim Casher, as I've already said. So anyway, that's enough of me sort of rabbiting on. Um, Basically, just want to get a little song played before I play the interview. So this is a song by Cursive. It's a song from the album The Ugly Organ. And the song is called Driftwood, A Fairy Tale. It's one of my favourites. his arms and hope to die And then a fairy came one night to bring the sorry boy to life She pulled some strings spun him about That boy's bright light and began to shout My arms, my legs, my heart, my face, they are show he was for real And she would take those gifts and kisses though just stringing him along She knew about those wooden boys It's an empty love to fill the void
Tim, how are you doing today? Good, thanks. Awesome. So we're in King Tut's Glasgow before your show, 27th of March at about seven o'clock on the dot. How are you feeling today? How was your travel down? Uh, great. I mean, it's been uh, it's been you know nice weather, and mm. wasn't really expecting that for no for March in the UK. No, not at all. Trust me, it'll not last long. Um, for people who don't know who you are, Tim, give me a introduction of yourself and as many or as few ways as you like <laughs> uh, well I'm a songwriter from uh, Omaha Nebraska I've um, been doing the band cursive uh, for tw- you know, 20 years and good life a band another band the good life for probably I guess over 15 years now about 17 years I suppose um, and I started doing uh, albums under my own name uh, starting in 2010. So, uh, yeah, I just put out an album about every year and kind of just tour all the time. And you're doing some screenwriting now, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I've been screenwriting for over 10 years. And uh, uh, just recently, or I should say, I um, last f- couple of years, I managed to finally um, uh, produce one of the screenplays that I did. So. Cool. Uh, so I wrote and directed it, and I'm going to start screening it later this year. Awesome. Cool. Um, so anyone who's listened to the interview should, by at this point, uh, or interviews, podcast, if you prefer, should, by at this point, know the script. Um, so we always start with the same question mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, what was your earliest memory of, and this sounds cheesy, but falling in love with music? Uh, uh, I, falling in love with music? I might go a little bit... I might go a little bit later... Uh, I mean, I have memories of, you know, listening to Seven Inches of, like, Lips Incorporated and, like, Funky Town and, you know, Simon and Garfunkel and Cat Stevens and all that. But to really fall in love with music, I think maybe I would go with, uh, like, a Violent Femmes um, self-titled, you know, like, uh, dubbed cassette that I had. Uh, I just listened to, like, crazy. Uh, Yeah, and just, like really I mean that's a great record <laughs> yeah yeah of course and what age were you at when you first kind of got introduced to music and you know, that kind of genre if you prefer uh young uh so I have uh, I'm the youngest of a bunch of siblings so six I believe yeah I'm the youngest of six yeah you and, can uh, tell I check Wikipedia yeah <laughs> I'm well researched uh, <laughs> so there was a lot of music there's a lot of music like in the house uh so yeah so I had a violent I don't know I can't I'd have to like do the math, but I think I yeah. had that Violent Femmes cassette 
probably around the time the album was released. So yeah. I don't know if that was like 82 or 83. It was or, young, yeah. yeah. I think it would have been young to know yeah. the introduction, put it that way. Um, and then, obviously, you always have that first band, I think, that you listen to. I always had my first band, Cursive, one of them, when I was really young. Oh, cool. And then, well, 14, I suppose. Yeah. That's, that's probably older than some. But um, when it comes to other bands that you listen to you go through like I think a period where you listen to one band you love it and you play it and you play it and your parents hate you for playing it all the time and then all of a sudden you get another band you do the same with that and then all of a sudden you go to see bands live um, when did that happen for you that you saw like live bands and which ones can you pick out that made you go that should be me or I would like that to be me uh, for us uh, growing up in Omaha Nebraska there wasn't uh, you know we managed to learn about uh, you know, through 120 minutes on MTV, you know, on Sundays, and yeah, uh, but and again through older siblings, we learned about great music like The Cure and Smiths and stuff like that. But uh, they they would never. That's not a. I didn't grow up in New York or you know yeah, yeah, in yeah, Chicago for that matter. So it was never even remotely an option to see these bands. Uh, so for live music, it was all. Um, it was all local, and but there was great local music. Yeah, so that was the best way. So, uh, and it's like, I mean, music that I really, you know, unabashedly in- endorse. You yeah. know, it's like it was as good as the Cure. You know, yeah, it's just of like, but it was in our region. Um, so there's bands Mousetrap and Mercy Rule um, are two uh, two of my favorites from back then, and they were uh, you know just punk and. Um, I, I guess I, I think it was just like just like kind of chaotic and cool as shit and they just really blew our minds yeah. it was just so cool uh, and that was a huge influence for us to um, we are already, we had already been playing our instruments and had, we already had a band but we were doing a lot of covers because yeah. we were playing like high school dances yeah, yeah, to make money and then um, well you made money from that I yeah, do, I was yeah. doing it wrong. All yeah, yeah. Days, man. We made money so that we could go into the studio and record some of the songs that we had. But it was like seeing these bands where we kind of recognized like what the potential of what you could really yeah. do was like a lot cooler than what we were doing at the time, you know. And I think um, I mean I can only say from my uh, experience of first listening to your music, but I was going through a stage where lyrics were really important to me, like really important. And I think you know growing up and being given. Um, well actually being given the single The Recluse was one of the first things I picked up on and it was lyrics that I really read into and there was a lot of bands around that time but did you have that period where lyrics almost meant as much as a musicianship because you're, you're a guitarist essentially mm-hmm. and you can play multiple different instruments so you are musical whereas I'm not but from your perspective I would say lyric, you're very lyric heavy in a good way I am and that's because that's just kind of part of the um, influence of that we all had of, with each other. Yeah. That we believed, we just you know very early on believed that if you're going to take the time to write a song, then to write a melody, to write chords and melody, then you, then you should be putting the best yeah. possible lyrics you could on it. Yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. a lot of rock and roll, it's a total. It's strange, but it's a total afterthought. It's just like, well, what rhymes? What you know? It's just like, yeah. I've been walking down the street, and who am I going to meet? Or you know, <laughs> yeah. um, the cat sat on the mat. Yeah. yeah, it's like I'm not really <laughs> yeah. sure why they wouldn't put why you wouldn't put more thought into it. You're putting, yeah, I think totally. you're putting thought into your chords and your guitar solos or whatever. You know, simply thought into the words. Um. So, but that said, I've noticed that I for music, I'm much more. Um, 
I'm much more of a song writer than a lyricist. Uh, it's always been kind of a, a difference I've noticed between myself and all of my really close music friends growing up, yeah. and people who weren't musicians. Um, people who just like knew the lyrics to all these all these records and knew and just would talk to me and you're like oh and then what about the lyrics of that song and I just over and over again I'd be like ah oh, I guess I never noticed the lyrics but I think the melody's awesome so yeah. I just like I just melody was always so much more important to me and it's not that mel- I wanted lyrics to be important to me too but I just didn't pay as much attention to them, to them as much as I was paying attention to composition and melody uh, but there's still there's some stuff that always will stand out yeah. and that was like for me Morrissey um, was a big deal and yeah, so I yeah, yeah. so Same. like my cassette of louder than bombs I think I could probably I think I could probably do a one man play yeah where I could just <laughs> tell you all the lyrics yeah. to that album you know I think the Smiths were um, I was I was unfortunate that I got into them late but you know 15 years on I'm still just as excited when I hear a Smith song as I yeah. feel like everyone is, you know, and it yeah. sounds sometimes the cheesy answer, but like the eighties was a good period. Like yeah. I'm disappointed I was four when we left it. So <laughs> it's kind of disappointing yeah. for me. But it's funny how you should because um, 'cause you've got you have you have an English degree, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and philosophy? Yeah, minor, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um so 'cause listening to your music, I felt you were quite a storyteller and that's why I wanted to mention about the English and the oh, philosophy, right. like, I, did you ever, I mean, because obviously you were screenwriting now as well, but did you ever feel, was storytelling always like a thing for you, or did you kind of, uh, did that happen by accident? Because for me, the Ugly Organist told uh, almost a horrible story, if you don't mind me saying it, in a really <laughs> great way, but it, it catches you, like, and it's a story all the way through, it's, I mean, would you class it as a good concept? Uh, we, so, you know, stuff over, over the years, I've done some stuff that's um, really, really heavily conceptualized. Um, like Happy Hollow or I Am Gemini. Yeah. Um, but, or Album of the Year, actually, for that matter. Um, but, uh, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, but yeah, the funny thing, I, I'm totally okay with people considering Ugly Organ to be highly, um, conceptualized as well because, yeah. um, we presented it that way in the liner notes and, yeah. And it's an album that I know, I recognize that people really have taken on. And, uh, uh, but we do. It doesn't like doesn't really matter. But we kind of feel like it's like well, that one's like more loosely thematic than <laughs> yeah than yeah, yeah. some of the other ones. But because um, even after Domestica and everyone was like, I was starting to be kind of pegged. It's like, oh, this person tells like a story throughout, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, okay, maybe I should be careful and not do that every time because yeah. I don't I, sh- I don't want to have to be de- dependent upon or expect mm. you know people expect that it's going to be a full story. Is that where some of the the lyrics from that album came from? From that feeling. Like, uh, I got yeah, that. Yeah. I got that. Yeah. I mean, it's well, definitely. Kind of like, obvious, I mean, songs so. like "Art Is Hard" is yeah. <laughs> Reference. I didn't have to go too up. far into the depths yeah. of my brain yeah. to figure that out, but nonetheless. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, I, yeah, I kind of veered off a little bit. I think there, but we're talking about your first live show in the Smiths and and things like that. And how did the the Smiths and your love for music evolve into? Well, effect the good life cursive. How how does that happen? Because obviously, there's a story behind how it happens. How you meet people. Why why you create what you create, and, and where did it come from? Loosely, uh, the deciding to do the good life is that what you well well just okay. like the, what you create in general. Like how did that evolve into where you're at now? Oh, like uh, the earlier stages. Well, okay. Um, I started. Cur- we I should say we started cursive because. Uh, uh, we had been doing our band Slowdown Virginia for um, yeah. a while, and that was, um, I mean, people are, you know, quite reverent about that band, and I, I appreciate that, but to, for us, 
it was still a little bit um maybe like local band and a little bit um little goofy yeah um the first band you make is always the one where you want to make mistakes <laughs> yeah yeah and so i we stopped that band and i went on to go to college and then what i often now i'm talking about these days 20 years later is like yeah i was like all right i'm gonna get on course and i i'm gonna have to make i need to make money and i'm gonna become a professor and uh uh, uh, it, but the guy, like Matt, at that time, it was like Matt McGinn and Steve Peterson at the time, who was the first guitarist in uh, Cursive. Uh, he was in Slowdown, Virginia as well, and they urged me uh, to pick it up again. Uh, and and that was that was kind of an important um, revelatory time, because I kind of thought, okay if we're going to go through the motions and like pick, pick this up again, yet again yeah. and do a new name, then we really have to give a shit. We really have to like try and care more than the kind of goofy attitude that I yeah. had with Slow Down Virginia. And that's a, has a lot to do with how serious cursive became and how serious cursive still is. Cause yeah. we're really careful with um, that catalog and with like the, like, our personal legacy, our personal relationship with that band. Yeah. And so that's why in my, that's why I perceive Cursive as being kind of, uh, uh, we, it's like, we have these like, kind of like a certain creed about what Cursive has to be. And it yeah. has to be like always asking questions and always like searching for something. And yeah. It, you know, it has to be something, there has to be a, re- a point to it. Um, but so it's also nice to be able to step away from that then. And, uh, and uh, I've always been writing, even be- well before Cursive, I was writing folk stuff and like more traditionalist Americana kind of stuff. Yeah. And that's uh, just just another aspect of who I am. I remember I used to think to myself, oh man, now that you're doing Cursive, you pigeonholed yourself because nobody wants to hear like Ian MacKay do um, a folk record. <laughs> but um, I, I eventually... I know where you're coming from with that. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, but, yeah but, uh, but, but then I just kind of had that, I worked... The, the, I thought that with myself and over the years I, was, I realized I recognized that's like well that's Ian MacKay then perhaps or, you know but there's yeah. not why why can't you just be whoever the fuck you are and um, set your own sta- new standards yeah and so I and why can't you just be the guy who does like this post hardcore stuff and does and, also and does folk stuff. stuff and people can accept it or not it doesn't really matter just do yeah, what just do whatever like, just do it how you feel like I mean one of my favorite artists um, Wes Isold from American Nightmare started off hardcore and now he does cold cave electronic oh, yeah, yeah, and poetry yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and people are quite accepting of it I think mm-hmm. almost because you can see that's a, a part of what he is I don't think he's threw away American Nightmare certainly not yeah um, I mean yeah. I don't know the guy but right he seems very comfortable in, in every aspect and that's kind of a nice thing to watch so yeah I, I get where you're coming from with that but I also get the fears of will anyone give a fuck about me doing mm-hmm. this aspect of it because um, people are fickle mm-hmm. unfortunately yeah and I think I still see it um, I still see it at shows um, I can get a I, and maybe I'm reading into it too much but I can get a I, get a, I can get a feel of certain people who might be at a solo show under yeah. my own name uh, and and they're specifically cursive fans, and and it's like it's not scratching that itch for them. Yeah, and I I wish it did. You know, I wish yeah, that they could course. hear that because to me, going I'll go back to the start of this conversation, which is like, well, I'm, I think at the core, I'm with me as far as music is concerned. At the core of it, I'm a songwriter, and so it's not yeah. about genre for me. No, it's just not like 
it's about it's about it's about the writing and so if, I would like to believe that if you're a cursive if you like cursive music then you would be able to hear the relationship of the songwriting yeah you know but that doesn't I'm not dependent on that nor am I like um, fussy or upset when people don't because people have we all have the right to, yeah, to prefer genre and to you know to prefer some people, or, some people like the voice though there was someone really funnily enough because uh, some like I was saying before my hometown's like the northeast like southern mm-hmm. Newcastle um, and someone posted that you were playing because I still have friends obviously on the Facebook and stuff like that and someone like put that's my like that you were playing so and said mm-hmm. oh it's my favourite voice ever and some people it's weird like the voice you know, some people mm-hmm. like the voice side of it, and it can be any genre. Like, there's certain bands that, like, like no matter what Josh Goggin does, I will like it because I just like his voice. Mm-hmm. So you also have that, like, f- turn of the coin as well. You have that flip side as well, people who may just like anything you do. Yeah, that's... I certainly uh, appreciate, the kind of I certainly appreciate <laughs> those people. <laughs> yeah, they're the best kind, right? <laughs> um, and I think... When I was growing up, uh, there was a lot of bands. Kind of, it was back in the day when you would list the bands that you liked. Like <laughs> yeah, I was, yeah. I, I was that guy. I'm in alphabetical order. Um, <laughs> and some, like when I first started listening to certain bands, brand new, uh, cursive bands of that ilk. Mm-hmm. There was a point where you were relatively not small, but almost cult esque. But then the cult kind of with cursive kind of got it turned into a bit of a beast. Right? Was that ever your? I mean, you mentioned before by taking cursive on a serious, like a serious aspect. But was mm-hmm. your intention? I don't think anyone's intention ever to be massive. No one wants to be Guns and Roses, especially mm-hmm. not. I don't think that genre ever wants to be Guns and Roses. But did you did you expect it to turn into what it did? And did it ever become sort of overwhelming? Uh, I can sincerely say, on behalf of all of us and Saddle Creek, that nobody expected it. Um, it's just not it's just not the type of sound that we are or that I yeah. am it's just it, we never expected it it's I still recall and kind of cherish those funny conversations that we had after Ugly Organ just like went way out of everybody's yeah, head just was um, and the, just the shrug that we all had of like how did that happen or why did that happen or why did people give a crap about it so, you know, and, but we were glad I mean you certainly um Certainly, you can be glad and appreciate things. There's like a that, lot, of, a lot of themes though on that album that would resonate with someone between the ages of fifteen and twenty, I think, yeah. and also older. So you were, you were, you were open to a very large audience of people who were fifteen to thirty who will come see shows and buy records, well, maybe. But. You know, but there's also just a lot of competition out there, and there's a lot of probably oh, yeah. a lot of people doing <laughs> yeah. that. So we still we didn't know why, but um, but we were glad. It's not like it's also one of those things. Yeah. Well, don't question it. Um, but and then did it become overwhelming? Yeah, it totally became overwhelming, and that's why we walked away from it. That's like we've been walking away from it for a, a while, a long time, you know. Um, uh, you know, I like I the for, when we got back together, we kind of disbanded, and then when we got back together to do Happy Hollow, the most important thing about Happy Hollow was to have it not sound like the Ugly Organ because yeah. I just like was like, you know, it wasn't that I hated the record? That it was, was your just, in utero. <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not that I hated the record. It was just that I needed to make sure as an artist that everybody had absolutely was could be absolutely positive. Yeah. that I wasn't going to cash in on something because that was just that would be f- yeah. totally frightful for anybody to think that we would be like that. And uh, I respect that Ugly Organ record and. Um, and now that we've done a lot of other stuff, I don't have to worry about yeah what we're doing. And now we're just kind of like off and running, just doing whatever we want on any record. So that's nice. Yeah, it's it's a good place to be because I don't think... I mean, it took me a long while to see Cursive. It took me from like listening to you when I was like 16 to being like 20, 21. 
Um, but it's I still feel like the people who were at that show just a few years after the ugly uh, the ugly organ would still go and um, there would still be the same people that would be there now and that's a nice crowd to have that follow you no matter what mm-hmm. but I think when it gets huge yeah I, I always wonder because I've never and lots of people aren't under that feeling of being in a band that you want to do well and well enough to tour on and live on and not have to work a shitty day mm-hmm. job like mm-hmm. a lot of us do um, but then when it gets to a point where it's like everyone's talking about you there's so many negatives that can come with it and just over things that are totally overwhelming so yeah it's always an, it's always an interesting part when someone releases an album that just gets mad popular out of nowhere um, mm-hmm. from a personal perspective because I mean I was talking to someone the other day and he was saying he couldn't walk down the street without someone chat, like chatting to him and he just mm-hmm. went inside of himself and it changed his personality so yeah, and I see that with people, and I think that's kind of, I think that's too bad. Um, I don't know, all this is kind of funny conversation because there's nothing, yeah. even when we did Happy Hollow, it's like, well, sure, we wanted to, we still wanted people to res, it wanted it to yeah, resonate yeah. with people, and of it's not that we were writing something to be intentionally like, well, let's make something unsuccessful or something like that. Yeah. It was just, um, you didn't want to just wanting something. to be really careful about um, people's perception of who we were. And, yeah. Uh, because if you rehash the same album, people might look at that as, oh, well, that's the sound, we're cashing on the sound, maybe you're looking from that angle. Yeah, well, yeah, the oddly, though, <clears throat> if we would have, that's what, I mean, that's what you do to be successful, mm. you know? People, you know, then you would have had, like, a pair, like, oh, Ugly Organ and whatever that next one was, and people yeah. would talk about those, but that's just it, though. But it was, like, we, but being more concerned about that minority of people, that would be like, that's gross, they did Ugly, they just did another yeah. Ugly Organ, they're, you know, they're obnoxious. And yeah. I, it's, it's those people that we want to make. Yeah, I don't know. You just like, I don't. I mean, really, ultimately, like, what are we talking about here? It's like, we probably shouldn't worry about any anything about what other people <laughs> think, you know? <laughs> Anyways, what's done is done. Um, and then, I, I kind of asked this question already about, about the screenwriting. Um, so that started, what, five years ago? No, ten years ago. Uh, I started. I actually started writing um, like I guess it's been 12 years now because I remember I was when I turned 30 I said I kind of gave myself that talk of like you can't it's like it's been long enough now you yeah. need to you need to jump in and start doing it uh, so yeah I'm 42 now so um, how are you finding yeah. it <clears throat> I mean it's great it's just like it's an activity that I totally love doing um, it's it just it's a totally different style of storytelling than songwriting is and um, it's great and it makes it's actually helped me come back to songwriting and it feels so much more um, healthy it feels a lot healthier for me now because yeah. I used to feel kind of frustrated by songwriting because I couldn't um, express everything that I wanted to um, so it's good I think it's kind of keeps me like more balanced as a writer do you think that's where your future will lie or do you see that more as a secondary thing that may turn into a thing that's on the um, same level as your music well now that I've done I mean I really am looking at it the same as music uh, yeah. now that I've done one movie it's now I'm like working on the second and it's just so I see it as the, my first record the first movie yeah. is just the first record and um, now it's a difficult and, second record yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and so and now I just want to keep um now I just want to keep a balance of uh, records and movies and um, it's uh what's really comforting is that I was able to what took me so long to get into movies was financial problems because they're oh, so yeah. expensive to make yeah but um technology has kept ke- keeps catching up and yeah. now uh, I recognize that I can make movies for like it's not cheap but it's an affordable yeah. amount 
that uh, I don't have to worry anymore about whether or not it's possible to make them. What was your first movie that made you want to do screenwriting? Out of curiosity, because I, I thought normally I would ask the question, what would be the first band or... But I'm kind of curious, because I'm a huge film fan. Huge. Um, yeah. Big film buff. So. Well, I do. This is an odd one. This is an odd one, and it's probably not accurate, but I do. Back to like your first question of like, what's your very first music mm-hmm. experience? Or, mm-hmm. um, uh I do think that my experience of seeing E.T. when I was like seven years old was so profound and so religious for me Yeah, that um, it really um, effect- it had affected me in a major, major way. And I think Goonies also did that for me. Oh, the Goonies, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but then... They Goonies was great for everything, wasn't it? Like, we should just transport yeah, back to the air. But we that's, were kind of doing that. But, but that's for like being really young in... But then movies that had like just major um, effects on me. But I already wanted to be a director, but what? uh, But still, like, uh, hit me in really profound ways was The Graduate, which is my all-time favorite movie. I saw that when I was probably I don't know, eighteen years old or something like that. And uh, Rosemary's Baby, like, oh, great film, blew my mind. Yeah, so good. I can't believe that a movie that came out in like '67 or whenever it was that that they were chanting God is dead at the end. I was yeah. just like, this is so cool. We have a film night. We play all these films. You need to come. <clears throat> yeah, we played The Goonies yeah. like two months ago. Nice. Yeah, whenever you're back, yeah, you're welcome. It's free, but you're welcome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, Rosemary's Baby was... Uh, it's up there with like my favorite horrors. The Shining wins it. The Shining yeah, wins my favorite horror. I and the I Shining say so that. much. Also... Um, since I'm up here in Scotland, um, American Werewolf in London is a huge, yeah. huge one for me as well. I always think about it every time when I drive through the moors. American Werewolf in London. Was, I mean, if are you a horror fan? Mm-hmm. I love horror. Yeah. Oh, I, mean, I, I didn't expect that, but I don't know why I didn't expect <laughs> that. Just goes to show, never judge a book by its cover. <laughs> I love it so much because it's just um, it's the same reason why I love like uh, I see no difference in loving horror as I love as in my love for um, really sad music. Yeah. Is I want it's like you just want to push boundaries. You want to push. Yeah. You just want to, <clears throat> as like we have these expressions and these emotions, and you just want to feel the most extreme version of them. Yeah. And that's exactly. what drama is, and that's what horror is, and you know, in comedy too. But comedy, to me, is never the roller coaster ride that something intensely yeah. sad or intensely scary is. Yeah. Did so. you ever see? Um talking about 80s movies did you ever see Stranger Things on Netflix yeah it's excellent how did yeah, I was, there, yeah. you answered the question so yeah, yeah one step ahead of me man yeah. one step ahead <clears throat> um, so I, I guess this question kind of ties in as well um, with what I've kind of just asked anyway so you might feel like you're repeating yourself but okay. that's fine that's okay I'm not I'm a professional so it's okay <laughs> I learn um, but what do you think the future for you is in the immediate obviously no one knows what they are in five years unless you're a really good interviewer I, uh, yeah <laughs> and I don't know either and I don't I know even less than I know I know even less so than most mm-hmm. of us because uh, I'm in a I'm in a career yeah, that's re- quite dependent on each record that's released and now each movie that's released. So, I'm sitting here saying, "Oh, I'm gonna make my second movie." It's like I'm gonna try. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like see how it goes. I think I can do it, but then the third that might be, you know it might be the yeah. second that's really the uh, nail in the coffin. You know, are you gonna do horror? 
Uh, I absolutely one of these yeah. days, and I've written them already, but um, they're not. That's not what's next on the docket. Oh, that's a sh- kind of a shame for me. It'll, I'm I'll get there. About that oh, I'll get there like, for sure. The Tim Casher horror movie. I'll definitely get there. Would it be a slasher? Um, no, I'm not really slasher. No, I'm not really psychological. Into, yeah, uh-huh. yeah, 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 yeah. It would have to be psychological. There's a yeah. There's I've have actually have already written it. Um, at least a couple that are in my head that I mean that I've written already, but. Uh, they can't see me, but I'm physically vibrating <laughs> right now, so that's cool. Um, so yeah, a question I always like to end the podcast on. Um, it's a difficult question. People hate answering it, <laughs> but we'll go for it. So if you, if someone had never heard of Tim Kasher, Curse of the Good Life, never knew you did screenwriting, and said, okay, well, give me two things that need to grip me, the need to make me a fan of Tim Kasher, what would be the two things you'd choose and why? Oh, okay, so it's, it's things that, um, from my catalog? Things that you've created in any way, shape, size, or form. Oh, uh, well, the for the screenwriting side, it's simple just to say no resolution because it's yeah, the, the only, only one, <laughs> the only full length feature, full length that I have. So that's that. That's an easy one. Um, but for uh, it's what's I guess what's tricky for me is that I do such. Uh, I've been doing kind of different stuff for over the last twenty years, and yeah. so to say to pick a cursive record doesn't really um wouldn't really um wouldn't really be like exemplary for for a good life record or for so I, I don't know I think that uh I think maybe I'd go with uh uh maybe no that's unfair oh you know what I think I'd go with uh I've been thinking about this lately since I've been doing interviews for this for this cycle yeah I think maybe I'd go with uh my first solo record The Game of Monogamy uh that being because uh I was still kind of sorting out what it meant for me to be to do a record under my own name so that has some pretty aggressive rock stuff and some very very quiet stuff and some very um, heavily orchestrated stuff, which kind of, um, which I think maybe kind of touches on all three. Yes, <laughs> yeah, three uh, bands. Would you choose if you could choose one cursive album? What would you choose? Uh, um, I didn't have to ask that question. I'm just yeah, throw, I'm just throwing it at you. I think that I think that I would have to. I think I would have to just go with the boring um, answer of the ugly organ. Um, it's a good album, though. Like, let's it's, be honest. It's, it's, it's the one that people album. relate to the most. Yes. Um, and I, over the years, I um, it's not it's not what I choose as my favorite. And over the years, my favorite changes. Varies. Yeah. Um, and right now, it's Mama, I'm Swollen. But I also totally recognize that that is not representative of Cursive. So I mean, it's a totally different compositional style. It's a different drumming style. Um, we just we were really wanting to go out and we really wanted to go in a different direction. So yeah. So the early organ probably has all of the weirdest components that is probably most yeah <laughs> um, uh, emblematic of what cursive is. Good. Well, I, I can accept that answer because I maybe would say the same, <laughs> yeah. which might be the obvious answer. But that a domestic, I could go either. But um, thanks. I think thank that you. Doesn't cover half as much as I want to cover, but we don't have all night. So um, <laughs> oh, yeah. but thanks, Tim. Did you have fun? I did. It was nice. Good. Yeah. How cool is that? Um, bit of a shorter podcast, like I said, like 35 minutes or so or something like that, but, um, yeah, it was really good. I really enjoyed talking to Tim. Um, funny story about that was, um, I took the most editing I've probably ever done and, 
anyone who knows me probably uh, knows I'm not very good at that kind of stuff. Um, the reason for Tim hadn't ate like all day, um, and someone kept wanting to bring him food, which of course you know we stopped for we and we had we shared a beer. Um, but yeah, so that that took a lot of editing. I hope it sounds okay. It, listening to it back, it sounded fine. But um, most importantly, I hope you enjoyed listening to Tim. Uh, I thought the stories of Cursive, uh, his screenwriting, I'm really pleased we, we delved off into something that maybe Tim isn't as known for because I love films. Like, I'm a big film fan, I think, as everyone knows. And I think a film by Tim Kasher, like, the whole idea in my head just plays out so beautifully um he's one of my favorite uh, storytellers alongside one of my favorite songwriters um so you know for someone who would write films i think that would immediately go to the top of my i want to watch list uh like a tim Kasher horror as i said uh during the podcast you know i was physically vibrating as he told me that so um but yeah when it comes to tim i really enjoyed it um, I hope you did as well as always. Um, if you're a cursive fan or a fan of anything Tim Durham, sure you will of, um, which would be cool. But yeah, Tim has a new album out as well, uh, which is called No Resolution. He's just toured it in the UK, as you can tell. I was speaking to him there um, back end of March, so just a few weeks ago, um, at the Glasgow show that he played. But he's currently in america over the next few weeks i think he's playing places like seattle san francisco los angeles denver and i think that to two that starts about the 25th of april if you're listening from the states i think it goes all the way up to like late may uh but he's playing yeah a few few different places dallas um Atlanta. I'm just looking through a few dates just now. Obviously, I don't know much about the states, and I don't know where you're listening from. But yeah, go see Tim because Tim is a super captivating performer, both on his own, um, and both with cursive and with the good life or, or whatever he does. Um, I really appreciate Tim as a performer, and I really appreciate the time he gave to me. Um, yeah, but if you've enjoyed it and it's the first one you've listened to, please go back and listen to the previous episodes. I think you'll get a lot from them. Um, I certainly did, and you know, it's all about the guest at the end of the day. And I feel, I feel, I feel quite lucky uh, that I've had so many iconic people that I've looked up to since I was really young. So I, I would suggest go back and listening to them most definitely. Um, but join me again in, in two weeks. I believe I'll have someone who is quite a close friend um, of Tim Kasher, um, someone who's kind of already been on the podcast as well. Um, so just to drop a few clues in there also. But again, as always, thanks for listening in. Thanks for stopping by. Hope to see you soon. Show he was for real